Hey guys, uh, welcome to the Politics Mostly Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Ramirez. No music, no intros. I'm just going to go straight through today. Short podcast. I'm going to make this podcast a little personal, uh, mainly because I've been taking a break from politics, but I still want to give you guys the awesome content you're used to. And, you know, this is the Politics Mostly Podcast. It is called that for a reason. It is not politics only. It's the politics mostly. And I would say of the, you know, 50 to 80, whatever episodes I've done, 30, 40, whatever the number is, the fact that I've done zero non-political podcasts is um, pretty astounding because this is a project. It is, in some ways, a vanity project (laughs) about me showing the awesome traits of my personality. Um, Today I'm going to talk about my anxiety, which I kind of debated on for a while. Because it is a very personal struggle. And where I've been, what's going on. And really, you know, this time of the year, January, February, marks 11 years since I had my anxiety, at least like diagnosable anxiety. And I've learned 11 things. And I'm going to share those 11 things with you. Even if you yourself don't have anxiety, the odds are you either struggle with anxiety or depression or, you know, OCD, eating disorders, whatever, um, or you know someone who does. And although I am not uh, 100% healthy these days, I do think 11 years of having something, 11 years of therapy, 11 years of medicine, all that kind of stuff, you kind of learn things. You kind of learn things. And I'm definitely doing better than I was 11 years ago, so... Um, so I'm going to talk about that first. Let me just do a little ad read off the top. Let's get this out of the way. No Games, Just Gains is back to sponsor today's podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did last week's podcast or two weeks ago. Um, I want to thank my man Jose for that. No Games, Just Gains. Take what you do seriously. Know what you want and go get it. Looking for quality and stylish clothing and accessories? Shop apparel at nogamesjustgains.com. I'm going to link his Instagram and Twitter in the show notes. So however you're listening to this, Apple, Spotify, Google, just if you want at the end of the episode or right now, just pause it, scroll down, hit one of the links and see the kind of clothing they have. It's really good. I'm actually wearing one of their hoodies right now. Very comfortable. And you know, the, the thing with No Games Just Gains is I've been wearing him now for about a, a decade, I want to say. And shirts I've gotten 10 years ago, I haven't replaced. You know, sometimes like lettering fades or, or the, you know, the quality becomes bad over time. I must have washed some of these shirts like 200 times by now. And they look honestly as good as they do the day I got them. So I think it's awesome that he sponsors the pod. He keeps this free for everyone. And I'm not even like selling my soul because it's stuff I've been wearing for 10 years and that I swear by. So... Um, nogamesjustgames.com and look in the show notes for his social media. Okay, so yeah, 11 years. 11 years I've had anxiety. It's been a real problem. (laughs) Um, You know, everyone has anxiety, right? Like, nobody doesn't know what anxiety feels like. Your heart rate, tight chest, nervous, shaking, the runs, you know, however it manifests, dizziness, however it manifests with you, cold sweat. Um, But for most people, it's very compartmentalized almost, right? Like people are afraid of public speaking. People are afraid of, um, some people are afraid of heights, clowns, specific phobias, snakes, right? These sorts of things. Um, those people think they have anxiety. They don't really, though, right? That would be like comparing uh, someone who's hungry because they didn't have breakfast to someone who's, like, starving, haven't eaten in a week, right? It, it's a, it's maybe the same sensation but such a degree of magnitude differently that they almost qualify as completely separate situations, right? Um, about 11 years ago, I dropped out of high school because of my anxiety. Stopped going to high school. Um, luckily, I was able to work from home, and I did graduate. Um, too much anxiety to go to the graduation itself. However, 
I was able to graduate with my high school diploma. Barely left my house for a few years. Um, and it is a weird feeling. It is a really, really weird feeling to just be in your house and having a panic attack. You know, if I was in the jungle and I saw a tiger, you know, running at me, I, I would hope I would have a panic attack. Give me the adrenaline, right? Rush the blood to my inner body, away from my extremities. Give me a little bit of juice, a little strength. You know, you probably run a little faster if a tiger's chasing you. These are all good things. But what happens when your body's out of whack and this starts happening regularly? So for about two years, you know, I didn't really leave my house much. And um, it took me three tries to do college. Three tries. I went to North Carolina Chapel Hill. Um, I deferred a year. I just loaded as many medicines as I could. Um, after a year, I still couldn't do it. I went to orientation, never made it to class on the first day. Came back, tried community college uh, a year later, didn't work. And I finally went to Long Island University here on Long Island where I live. And, you know, college wasn't a breeze. There were definitely things I couldn't do. You know, I didn't do any presentations in college, right? Like, I got out of everything. Now, I had to make it up oftentimes. You know, I would give the presentation to the professor in office hours. If, if there was a group project, I would do an alternative project. You know, and oftentimes it was harder, which is whatever, stupid. But, I, you know, it's not like I got out of work. I just had to do different work. Um, I remember I always sat in the back of the classroom so I could leave, you know, by the by the doors. And I remember that I, the summer in the lead up to fall semester where I did a single class, one class twice a week, hour and a half, I would go every day to campus. I would drive every day to campus and I would sit in the classroom where I was going to have my class. And I did this every single day, Monday through Friday, actually maybe even on the weekends too. I did it. I sat in the classroom for 10 minutes every single day. Nobody was around. Luckily, they didn't like have the building locked. <laughs> Maybe they didn't care much about um, you know, security and that kind of stuff. Um, and I had to do this. So when I went there the first time, I would be okay. And I remember I was so worried about my anxiety, about having a panic attack. I would have like hearing loss sometimes or like blurred vision. I was so worried about missing the contents of the first class that I actually recorded the class. It's still on my phone. I don't re-listen to, <laughs> you know, intro to American politics. I don't re-listen to it, but I look at it sometimes and it reminds me how far I've come. And there were definitely problems in college. You know, I would, I would move on to the, to, into my dorm early every year, every semester, just to acclimate a little earlier. Um, I definitely had accommodations, and I, and I want to thank actually Long Island University's um, the um, the department that dealt with the accommodations uh, students with health issues. They they were the reasons I was able to go to college and graduate. And going to college after years of trying to and not getting it, and after not really finishing high school, so that, you know, I don't have a good taste in my mouth academically, it was hard. It was hard, it was challenging, but it also really unlocked, once I was able to do it, after I got a semester or two in and I knew I, like, I had this in me, um, it really like woke me up in some sense. I had this energy within me that I was learning again. After many years of just stagnation and, you know, in hindsight, kind of wasting prime years of my life, you know, 18 to 22, um, or I guess 18 to 21, uh, it really, there is something inherently good about learning, about increasing your horizons, and about pushing yourself. 
And thankfully, because of the accommodations department, because of time, because of medicine, because of me working at it, I was able to get through college, graduate with a 4.0, and be valedictorian of my graduating class. It was not easy, but I did it. Um, okay, so that's pretty much, I don't want to get into like everything, um, <laughs> but that is pretty much my history briefly without going into too much like scary detail or, or trying to ruin someone's day. Um, so 11 years, I spent a week this past week and I wrote down a lot of things. And I, I really took myself back to those early days. And I wanted to say, if you were struggling with anxiety, what helped me? You know, what is scientifically proven to be, you know, like a clinical advantage? What are some things that have helped me, have helped others? I've been in group sessions, group therapy. I've talked to people with this. And I started realizing that the same ideas kept popping up about what has helped others and what helped me. Now, little pause here. We have to say a few things. Uh, disclaimer time. I am not a medical professional. I am not a doctor. I do not have a degree in anything in the health science field. Um, nothing I'm about to say is intended to treat, cure, um, reduce any medical condition do not do not change your life based on what i'm saying without consulting a healthcare professional without talking to your doctor if you are in an emergency stop the podcast and call 911 i'm not you know this is i'm just telling you what worked for me i'm not even telling you to do these things if you want to try them after talking to your doctor, you know, be my guest. I'm just telling you things that helped me be in a position where, you know, 10 years ago, I was dropping out of high school. I did not, I, I wasn't doing well. I wasn't leaving my house. Uh, I was pretty much in a bad mood 24-7 um, because even though everyone tells you don't compare yourself to your friends, the fact that my friends were out in college, often in a different state, you know, getting internships, um, partying, girls, whatever. And I was like stuck at home against my will in some ways, right? So how did I go from that person to where I am now? And where I am now is by no means perfect. There are still things I can't do. I'm still in therapy. I still take medicine. But, you know, I have a house. I have a job. And it's not this. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be sick if this was my job. One day I would definitely do more podcasts, but I have a job and a girlfriend. And, um, you know, like by, by a lot of standards, I would consider myself a functional adult. Uh, not perfect. There are things I need to work on, especially some things that have developed the last few years I'm, I'm working on right now. So how what helped me get from where I was to where I am now? 11 years. 11 years. The first thing I want to say is, you know, therapy is great. I recommend it. Um, you know your problems. If you think, if you reflect, the answers are within you. Therapy is great because what happens is you often, you, you don't want to be the friend who's always complaining about something, right? The friend that's updating everybody about your sobriety, um, the friend that is complaining about their job or their girlfriend or their boyfriend, you know, 24-7. You don't want to be that guy. That's bad vibes. People aren't going to like that, right? If you hang out with your friends, have a few drinks, talk about sports, talk about the news, talk about whatever, right? Um, so, and you don't really want to be a burden on your family either. So therapy is a good, you know, I have like best friends who I don't really talk about my anxiety with. Pretty much everyone knows about it in some way, but a lot of people don't know specifically things about it. And I don't really saddle my family with that, too. So having a therapy session, you know, a few times a month is very good to kind of get everything out in a productive way. And as much as I love therapy, and I do, and I support it, and the efficacy and studies is there, um, 
I don't think I've ever been in a therapy session, and I've probably had like eight therapists by now, just because of, you know, people dropping into your insurance plan and, and moving and stuff. Um, I don't think I've ever been in a therapy session where they said something I didn't inherently know if I just sat down and thought with it. If you're not achieving what you want in life, if anxiety or depression or self-doubt or anything is preventing you from doing what you got to do, just sit down and, and take a pen and a pad and write out what it is that's preventing you from achieving what you want to achieve. And you, you know the answers. You know them. They're, they're inside of you. You just have to get them out. You have to think. And a lot of times we don't want to admit what is wrong with us. But if you allow yourself to be honest, if you write down things non-judgmentally, you have the answers within you. Therapy can help bring them out, but I've never been in therapy. And it's like, wow, that was, I've never thought about that, you know. Two, stress reduction. Um, I didn't really believe in this for a while. But if you reduce your stress, you will reduce your anxiety. Um, there are a lot of studies that show that daily stressors, low-grade stuff, long commutes, sitting in traffic having like a chronic you know physical condition these are actually more stressful than like a job interview right or a public speaking engagement that you're afraid of you know these one-time massive stress inducers they're actually easier to overcome once they're over than something that's giving you low-grade stress every day that we don't think of of that and what you have to do is you have to find ways you know not like meth and shit like that, but ways that you can like stress, reduce your stress, reduce your cortisol levels. And this will actually prevent a lot of anxiety in the first place. You know, for me, I like sitting by a fireplace in the winter. I like reading. I like warm baths that last a long time. I also like going to restaurants by myself and writing. That's a little weird, um, but you have to find what makes you feel good. And do that a lot, especially if something's coming up that's big that you know is going to be a problem. Three, everything is exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is exposing yourself to your fear, right? If you fear airplanes, you just have to get on airplanes, right? There's not much work you can do in a therapy um, office that is going to prepare you for sitting in an airplane. If you are afraid of spiders, you have to expose yourself to spiders. Now, maybe you know you don't expose yourself to a tarantula or like a really big spider the first time, right? Maybe you sit in a room with a small spider on the other side of the room. Excuse the train, um, and then eventually you allow the spider to get close to you the second time, the third time, and you will have anxiety. You will have anxiety, but over time, your body will associate you being in the room with the spider with you ultimately being okay when you leave, like nothing bad happened to you. And eventually, if you work at it every single day, by the second week, by the third week, tarantulas will be going up your arm, down your body, and you won't be, you'll be less anxious than the first day when it was a daddy long legs on the other side of the room, right? Everything is exposure therapy. You have to do whatever it is that makes you fearful. And the only reason you're not doing it is because you're afraid of the anxiety. And let me tell you something. You will be anxious. You will be anxious. I tried to do something today that makes me anxious. And I got like 95% of the way there. And I turned around because I was having a lot of anxiety. I couldn't control my breath. Turned around. But that's 95% more than what I would have done if I didn't do it at all. And yes, I had some anxiety. It went away, you know, in less than 10 minutes. And the next time I do it, maybe I can go further, 96%, 97%. And eventually, I'll be at 100%. Everything is exposure therapy. You have to do what makes you anxious, what makes you fearful. That is the only way you get through it. And if the anxiety is so severe... If your anxiety to flying is so severe, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get on a 12-hour flight the first time. I get it. Walk on a plane. Watch YouTube videos of takeoffs or landings or both, whatever makes you anxious. Get on an empty plane, work your way up to a 1-hour flight, and then by the time, you know, 
then you'll be eventually taking flights overseas. So I'm not saying, oh, you're afraid of a flight? Go to Australia. Take a 24-hour flight to Australia. No, you don't have to do that. But you have to get on a plane. You have to. There's no other way. Avoidance breeds anxiety. Okay? Trust me on that. Four, there are some facts about anxiety that if you are living with panic, with OCD, with acute anxiety, social anxiety, there are some facts you should know about anxiety that are literally true that I remind myself sometimes when I myself am am experiencing a lot of anxiety. The first thing is no one's ever died from a panic attack. It literally cannot kill you. It feels like you're dying. Trust me. I was there this morning. It feels like you're dying. Your heart is exploding. You're dizzy. You're sweating. Today, my right side of my body went numb. Uh, and because I was driving somewhere, I <laughs> I turned around and came home. Because uh, at that point, it's kind of dangerous. Uh, if I'm having problems with like my vision, hearing, and like my right side is kind of numb. Um, no one, you can't die from an anxiety attack. And the second fact about anxiety and panic attacks, they can't last longer than like 20 minutes. It's literally biologically impossible for a panic attack to last that long. Because you literally run out of the stress hormone. Your body cannot produce them at the level that is causing your anxiety. It is literally impossible. Your body becomes fatigued. You become very tired. There's a reason if you're in a fight, right? There's a reason you're exhausted after like three minutes. Exhausted. It's not, oh, it's a great cardio. It's because there's no more fight or flight hormones in your system. Your body has exhausted its reserves. It cannot keep up with you. If you're fearful of public speaking and you have to give an hour-long talk, maybe you're anxious um, right before it, maybe the first few minutes. By the 30th minute, you cannot be having anxiety anymore, at least at the panic level. You, you just It's biologically impossible. Panic attacks rarely last last longer than 20 minutes. I've never seen one last longer than 45 minutes based on what I'm looking at online. And, you know, the third fact about anxiety is the lead the lead up to whatever is causing you anxiety is always 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 100% at least in my life more anxiety provoking, scary, whatever word you want to use than the event itself, right? So, you know, let's take public speaking because that's probably very common here. If you're nervous about, let's say it's, you know, you're you're due up in 20 minutes, that is probably when your anxiety is peaking. The mistake we make about anxiety buildup is 20 minutes out, our anxiety is peaking. We don't know our anxiety is peaking. We're thinking, oh my God, I'm so nervous now. Imagine how nervous I'll be when I take the mic. Well, statistically speaking, if I charted your anxiety like on a graph, right now you're at the peak. You're more anxious before you do something than when you start doing something. You know, I've always told myself, like I call it the 20-minute rule, where if I have to do something, the 15 minutes before and the five, the first five minutes or whatever, that is the peak. That's the peak of anxiety. So many people... They're getting towards their event, they're close, and their anxiety starts peaking, and they go, well, look how nervous I am now. This is going to double when I start talking. No, it's not, actually. It's not, actually. Your anxiety is peaking now. Your anticipatory anxiety is peaking now. And maybe the first three or four minutes of you talking, you'll be anxious. You'll talk quick. You won't make eye contact. You'll slur some words, whatever it is that you struggle with. You'll stutter, right? That's it, though. Don't mistake the anticipatory anxiety thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to get there in 10 minutes if I'm this anxious now? The way, the how anxious you are right now is is the most anxiety you'll have over the next hour, I promise you. I promise you. That is always, always the case. If you're anxious about flying, the most nervous you'll be is walking onto the plane. Okay? The fifth. Um, thing I've learned about anxiety is you can literally hack your body. This really, this like cut my anxiety uh, attacks in half. And I'm not going to get, because I told you guys this was a quick episode, I'm ready at 24 minutes. You have to look at them yourself, but there are things like progressive body relaxation, 
certain types of meditation and deep breathing techniques that will literally turn off the part of your nervous system that's allowing your heartbeat to increase. Pretty much the, the, the thing you have to know here biologically is if you can control your breath, you can control your heart rate. And if you can control your heart rate, the heart rate is what starts the other symptoms, the dizziness, you know, the heavy breathing, the sweats. So if you can just control your breath, you can actually control your heart rate. And once your heart rate's under control, your anxiety is like, like you might as well ignore it. it like that's how insignificant it is. So there actually are ways to work on your breathing technique. Um, breathing slow breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, um, counting to 10 slowly. Uh, there are a lot of different techniques you can use. The thing you have to, for breathing that has helped me, you have to work on your breathing technique when you're not in anxiety. Maybe when you just wake up, you know, when you're in the shower, work on your breath work there because if you only work on your breath work when you're having anxiety, it's gonna be a lot harder. And the first few times you do things like meditation, progressive body relaxation, breathing techniques, it's gonna seem really dumb. It's gonna seem really dumb and it will take, I'm, I wish I could sugarcoat it, I'm not going to. It's gonna take a few weeks to even a few months to really like master, not even master, but to really hone your skills in those departments and you have to be patient with it. You'll start feeling better immediately, but for full results, it could take a few weeks. And then once you're able to control your breath, then so many doors become open to you, okay? Um, Another another thing about anxiety number six, there's always the magical question. Now, I'm not a big cognitive behavioral therapy guy, CBT, which is very common. Um, a lot of people get good results from it. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it wasn't for me. Um, CBT is pretty much the their theory of the case is everything is thought-based, right? Anxiety is thought-based you have negative thoughts that drives your physical symptoms. And if you can control your negative thoughts, you can control your body symptoms, you don't experience anxiety. Now, the reason it hasn't worked for me, at least as well as other forms of therapy and treatment is, one, sometimes I'm anxious without having any negative thoughts. I'm just watching TV. I'm just in the gym, you know, whatever. And it's like, oh, my chest is tight. Like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> um, and secondly... The thing with CBT is they like to break things down, right? Like, let's say um, you have PTSD, you're a combat veteran, and you don't like uh, what's like like fireworks on July 4th, right? It reminds you of like the battlefield, right? They'll A CBT therapist will say, okay... Um, why are you nervous? Oh, because fireworks are loud. Okay, and why is that nervous? Okay, well, fireworks remind me of explosions on the battlefield. And then they say, okay, so why are you nervous? And you go, well, I associate explosions with death. And then they say, well, fireworks aren't explosions. They just mimic it. And then you say, yeah. So you get to the end point where it's whatever you're fearful of is illogical, right? And I know that. You know, I know that inherently that all of my anxiety is illogical. It doesn't, it's not backed up by facts. It's not backed up by reality. And that, that even knowing that hasn't really taken away from, uh, knowing that hasn't like reduced my anxiety. Maybe for some people it is. They'll say, oh, see, you know, after you ask yourself a few questions, you realize, oh, I'm worried for nothing. And then you can do it. You know, so maybe it can work for you in that way. But one thing I did learn from CBT, which I did for a few years, was oftentimes the last question I would ask myself when I'm charting out my negative thoughts is, well, what's the worst that can happen? Right? What's the, like, let's say you're agoraphobic. You don't want to leave your house. Try leaving your house. What's the worst that can happen? You get a few steps. You go down the street. Just turn around and go home. Like, you're not going to die. What's the worst that can happen um, if you have anxiety about... Uh, being in an ocean, right? Sharks or, you know, whatever. Well, could you drown? I guess theoretically you could, but you also know how to swim, right? Most people who are afraid of water actually do know how to swim. So the odds of you drowning, you know, if you're like waist deep in the ocean, 
pretty low. Plus, you know how to. So you you work your way through, and then you think, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I'll go as far as I can. I'll try to ride out my anxiety, and I'll just walk a few steps back to shore. That's the worst that can happen. The worst when anxiety is most powerful. When you tell yourself the worst thing that can happen is I'm going to die. Because at that point, your body will kick in and give you that fight or flight response. Okay. And that's when you have to pause and remind yourself, no, this is not an appropriate response to the dangers I'm facing. Because in reality, I'm not facing many dangers at all. I'm just trying to walk into the ocean. I'm just trying to leave my house. Like these are not, these do not warrant the bodily response that's going on. So next time you're anxious, ask yourself, What's the worst that can happen? Right? Even if you're doing something crazy. Like to me, jumping out of airplanes is crazy. I get people like get that thrill. Um, uh, was it skydiving, right? Uh, bungee jumping, all that kind of shit. Even that stuff. What's the worst that can happen? Deaths in those things are actually very rare. There, it's it's a greater than zero percent chance you're gonna die, but it's like you know point zero, you know whatever it is, you know only a handful of deaths like ever. So is is that really a logical endpoint to your fear of skydiving? Is that you're gonna die? No, it's not. The worst thing that can happen is you jump off, you have some anxiety. It's over in like what five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. And really, when you're free-falling is when you're the most anxious, I would imagine, before the parachutes come out. So you're about to have, like, about, what, 30 seconds to a minute of free-falling? I mean, I, I don't know. Someone can correct me if these numbers are wrong. I'm just giving estimates. Um, so even in that case, will I die is not really even a possibility. It's a remote possibility, but not one that warrants anxiety. Okay. The seventh thing is, and this is going to sound pretty corny, but trust me, 11 years in, you learn some things. And I'm going to come out and say what I've learned. And if it's, if it's corny, it's corny. You have to love yourself. You have to love yourself. A lot of anxiety is thought-driven. Thought-driven. This is where I, I do agree sometimes with CPT. If you can control your thoughts, you can control your anxiety. But here's the kicker. Bad thoughts occur more frequently if you hate yourself. If you hate yourself and you have negative self-talk, what's, what's this called? Automatic negative thoughts, ant, right? This is a big phrase in the therapy community, ants, automatic negative thoughts. If your first instinct is always, I can't do this, I'll fail, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, that will actually increase your anxiety. And this is something I've struggled with, accepting myself, loving myself. Because sometimes in my life, sometimes in my life, I've been able to harness negative energy positively, especially with school. You know, I aced my SATs. I aced academics in high school. I got into every single college I applied to. Every single college I got in. I should have applied to IVs, but whatever. <laughs> uh, my reaches I got into, the moderates I got into, the safety schools I got into. And even once I got into college, eventually when I was able to control my anxiety enough, I was a 4.0 valedictorian. And sometimes I was able to use those thoughts of, am I a fraud? Am I actually smart? And I was actually able to motivate myself to not procrastinate, to do the work, and to motivate me. But, you know, 99% of the time, that's not helpful, right? That's not helpful. It's a crutch. It's a crutch. Maybe it can push you in very limited, you know, professionally. Maybe it can push you in sports. If you want to have like that underdog mentality, maybe that can push you in the gym and training, whatever. But for the most part, if we're talking about life, if we're talking about living anxiety-free, if we're talking about um, you know being the most healthy version of yourself, automatic automatic negative thoughts will kill you. They will kill you, not literally, but it it will. It is so often these things we have to do in life are hard enough, and we're just adding obstacles if we're automatically doubting ourselves, if we're saying, I don't love, I don't love myself, I don't do that, you know. So one thing I've really tried to do the last few years is to appreciate accomplishments I've had, to try to incorporate virtue into my life, to treat people better. And then, you know, I don't go, I'm not a prideful guy where I'm gonna go out and, and tell people like just met like, Here's my life's resume. No, there's obviously a balance here. 
but internally there has to be self-love if you have self-love if you accept yourself if you don't have automatic negative thoughts if you don't tell yourself you're going to fail you will do so much better off the bat i promise number eight understand now this one may be a little controversial and once again let me tell you something i'm not a therapist i'm not anything and that's important to remember here because maybe this is like heterodoxical maybe professional people will disagree with me and once again don't do anything i'm saying without talking to your healthcare professional um for me it's important to understand that you will fight this battle alone anxiety is a battle within yourself between yourself among yourself uh, you will not be saved by anyone a therapist a doctor your family co-workers students friends acquaintances nobody will save you you have to save yourself you have to save yourself friends who do not have anxiety do not understand anxiety and even people with anxiety because so many people are anxious about different situations, they don't often get it. Like, you know, if I have, like, generalized anxiety, right? Um, you know, I could say, like, oh, this triggers me. I'm talking to someone with OCD. And they're thinking, like, really? Like, why does that give you anxiety? But then they're, you know, they have OCD. Like, you know, they see a dirt spot and they have to clean the whole house. And for me, I'm thinking like, well, that's kind of dumb, right? Like, why do you do that? So even people with anxiety, if it's not like specifically your type of anxiety, maybe they'll be more understanding because they battle battles themselves, but they're not going to really understand your problem, your anxiety. So you fight this battle alone. I told you earlier, you don't want to be the friend that's always complaining about stuff in your group chat, in your friend group, because that won't earn you friends it won't i remember there was an opportunity for me um i live on long island and there was an opportunity last summer for me to go to new jersey um drive to new jersey to do something and you know for me you know i've had anxiety for 11 years but the last two years i've had throat problems and twice my throat has closed up on me once in Brooklyn, once out east on the east end of Long Island, about you know two, two and a half hours away from my house. And the throat now, we finally, you know, I had a surgery. I'm on medicines um, for my sinuses and everything. And my throat now is a lot less irritating. You know, I don't feel like I have strep every day like I did before. And doctors finally were able to give me a diagnosis, and I'm on medicine, and it's helping a lot. But unfortunately, for two years, if your throat is clogged up, and you know, I don't have to tell you how important breathing and swallowing is for somebody with anxiety, because um, you know, you think you're dying. It really made me phobic about distances, right? Like I'm not really going that far these days. Um, that's what I was doing this morning. I was trying to push myself and and, and drive even further because that's distance. Distance was never a problem with me historically. I've driven, you know, twelve-hour drives. You know, like I said, I went to North Carolina to. My brother lived there for a certain time. My best friend went to school there, and I was going to school there, and I would drive there no problem. Uh, I would time my routes. I wouldn't drive through New York City at peak rush hour, but you know that's normal. Um, and so. Yeah, the last year or two, I've been pretty phobic, and I was able to live my life anyway um, because we were in a pandemic people weren't traveling uh, my work is close and I was able just to live these last few years comfortably around my house as I worked on my throat issue but now that my throat's getting better I've discovered I was phobic to be far from home because I was worried about my throat closing up on me again like it did twice so you know I'll get over this because historically I have never had this problem before and i think it, honestly a lot of it was the medical a physical me medical problem that was irritating me forever um so you know i the whole, this if you lost track where we are um you're fighting this battle alone i remember i had this great opportunity last like june to go to new jersey um 
And I remember thinking that's far for me with my anxiety. You know, it's only like an hour, hour, 20 minutes, but you know, you have to drive through the Bronx, you have to go over bridges, tolls, there's always, always, always traffic. Um, And I remember thinking to myself like, that's too far. Let me ask my friends and even my family like, hey, will you help me? Will you come into the car with me? Can we drive together this way? If I have a lot of anxiety, if I have a panic attack, we'll just pull over, you get in the car, we'll drive home. That's it, right? And I was asking friends for months to help me with this. I even offered to pay them. I offered to pay them. And the response overall was not good. Was not good. I did not go to New Jersey. I could not find a friend to help me out. You know, it would have been two hours round trip, even if it was successful. And my guess especially last year with how bad my throat was in the summer. Um, it would uh, We would not have gotten there. We would, that would have been a turnaround. So, you know, if you look online, like how to, you know, how to beat anxiety, how to beat mental health problems, they're always like, oh, build a support system. Okay, if you can, do it. But I'm telling you, you ha- no one's going to save you from this shit. You have to save yourself. Okay. And that sounds kind of like <laughs> um, tough, but you know, I tried for months to get some friends to drive with me. I offered to pay them. You know, one friend I think would have done it for me, but he lived far away, and um, we couldn't really sync our schedules at that time. Um, but otherwise, it was, you know, they'd say yes, then the time came, and they they said no, and it. it to this day, that still bothers me that I had friends who, who wouldn't do that for me. To take two, you know, maximum two hours out of their day, a paid two hours. I was going to pay them, and they still. So, but this isn't just a one off incident. I'm telling you right now, people who don't have anxiety will not understand your anxiety. They will not go out of your way to help you with your problems. You yourself have to figure out your problems. Okay, last three. Number nine. Try your best to compartmentalize your anxiety, controlling it to one facet, right? Um, This is more for people who are like phobic about very specific things. Try not to let that bleed into other things, okay? Because that's where problems are going to be. If you have social anxiety, find ways where you can be social that doesn't trigger it, that you don't get panic attacks. You know, maybe you don't want to go to a crowded bar. Go to a friend's house. Get dinner with someone. Go to a small bar, maybe 10 people, maybe 20 people, and work your way up. But don't, if you have social anxiety, don't, not, don't stop being social altogether because there are very bad studies that correlate, and I would say it's a causal relationship, of being lonely and being depressed. So now you allowed this very specific anxiety phobia to manage to to go unchecked, to bleed, to leak into other things, and now you're not being social at all. Now you're not being social at all, and now you're lonely. And now that you're lonely, you're depressed. And now that you're depressed, you're tired. Now that you're tired, you don't have the energy to fight your anxiety. You know, it's it's this negative cycle. If you're anxious about something, keep it to that one thing. Don't let it go unchecked. And as soon as you feel it start to impact other areas of your life, stop it there. Maybe that initial anxiety, whatever it is, um, you know, maybe it is water. A lot of, you know, I, I was doing research. A lot of people are afraid of water, large bodies of water. Maybe it started out as being you don't want to go into dark water where you can't see your feet. And now it's you don't even want to go to the beach. And now you're not going to your family barbecue at the beach. St- work on the beach part before you work on the deep water part. Confide, keep that initial anxiety as limited in scope as possible. Don't, if you, if you let it manifest and fester and, and build, it will leak into other areas of your life. Don't allow that to happen. Trap your anxiety in one small area. Don't let it get anywhere else. And then work relentlessly on that one area. 10, harnessing anxiety. This is something that took me a very, very, very long time, but I think 
with enough time, you can do this also. You have to start viewing anxiety. Okay. You have to start viewing anxiety not so much as a debilitating negative force, but a neutral force. And ultimately, when you view anxiety as neutral, you can harness it for positive reasons. Now, this takes a while, and it's not always works. But what happens is, let's say you're doing something you're fearful of. And you start to get anxious. You really... you're. Sometimes you actually aren't even fearing the thing you think you fear. You fear the anxiety that comes with confronting your fear, okay? And what happens is as soon as we feel those anxiety symptoms, we go, oh shit, here it is. I can't fight it. Instead, accept that you're going to be anxious doing something you find challenging. You'll be nervous. You'll be whatever. And instead, use that power and harness it and use it for positive outcomes. I told you earlier how I let some of my anxiety about school fuel my study habits, right? If you're, if you're anxious about public speaking and you get up there and you're, you're starting to talk and you're anxious, think about how quickly you're processing things. You, you're noticing every single room in in the room you're speaking. Every single face, I mean. Every single face in the room you're in, you can notice it. You're processing things quickly. You're speaking quickly. Your mind's going a million miles an hour. Now, for some people, that's negative. I understand that. But what if you viewed it positively? Think about how, think about how easy it is when you're in that state to be alert, to remember things, to process things quickly. You know, if you're not afraid of public speaking and you go up there on two hours of sleep and you're tired and you had a long day, that person would kill for the mental quickness that you have going up there. Use it to your advantage. Don't fear the anxiety of the thing that you fear. You know, Get rid of that middleman. Accept that you're going to be anxious if you're doing something negative and try to see, okay, what are the symptoms I'm gonna feel? How can I use those as a positive energy? If you can, it's like steroids. It's like steroids. Okay, lastly, number 11, I'm getting out of here. Fuck, I always do this, my bad. I was saying this was going to be quick, but I ended up kind of talking a lot. The last thing, this is probably like the third corny thing I've said this episode, but I honestly think it's true. I wouldn't say it if I didn't think it's true. Don't underestimate the human spirit. There are a lot of people, and people with anxiety hate hearing this, but it's okay, I come in peace as a fellow anxiety guy. Okay, um, don't think I'm, I'm diminishing your pain. There are people with worse anxiety than you. There are people that are institutionalized. There are people that uh, are pumped full of meds and can't leave their bed. Don't underestimate the power of the human spirit, the power of change, the power of... Establishing daily habits that will eventually lead to actions, working on your techniques, your breathing, working on your nutrition, working on your supplements, you know, doing therapy, taking notes, doing something once a week that pushes you, that makes you anxious, that you overcome. If you're fearful of going far away, you start with 10 minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes, you keep working. Don't underestimate your power because I, you know, I've never once felt like man, I made a big jump this past week with my anxiety. Because it, it, it ebbs and flows. There are good weeks, bad weeks, good days, bad days, good months, bad months. But I look at where I was 11 years ago, 11 years ago, and I look at where I am now, and I'm thinking, holy shit, I went so far. But at no point during the journey was I ever like, wow, today was a great day. Like... I mean, I, you know, you have good days, but it's never like, wow, I really overcame my anxiety today. Because even when you do something you don't think you can, it's like, it's like one step forward, two steps back sometimes. The next time you try it, you can't do it. You're like, oh, that's weird. I thought I was able to do this. No, you, you still can't. Not every time, at least.
So, you know, people underestimate what they can accomplish in a year, and they overestimate. No, people over. Excuse me. Sorry. Long podcast. No breaks. Straight through. People overestimate what they can do in a year. Right. New Year's resolutions. You know, I'm gonna lose fifty pounds. I'm gonna get two promotions. I'm going to find a girlfriend, find a boyfriend, whatever. You know, in one year, that would be a very busy year. That's a lot to do. But at the same time, people underestimate what they can do in a decade. Okay? If you establish your daily habits, you keep the plan, you always, always, always push yourself, you confront your fear, you don't hide from it, avoidance breeds anxiety, stopping the automatic thoughts, working on your techniques, remember those thoughts I told you, and... If you push it, you will overcome it. Maybe not in a month, maybe not even a year, but in a decade, absolutely. And you have to start imagining yourself. How am I going to live without anxiety? How am I? What would my life be if I didn't have depression? What would my life be if I didn't have X, Y, or Z? Start imagining how you live your life and then actualize it. Because this isn't permanent. People beat their anxiety all the time. You know, I often used to joke that for me to, you know, I've had anxiety for so long now that for me to like completely eradicate my anxiety, I would need like a religious renewal, like a born again something or or have like a near death experience that you know, put things in perspective for me. You know, maybe maybe that stuff would help, I don't know. But if you just keep working, you will overcome it. Your body does not want to be anxious all the time. You yourself don't want to be anxious all the time. Sit down, collect your thoughts. What is preventing me? What what things are making me anxious? What is preventing me from living the life I want to live? Create a plan and attack, 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 attack. You will not beat anxiety on the defense. So those are 11 thoughts I had about um, things that have helped me these last 11 years. Um, thank you for listening, even if you don't have anxiety. Um, it was probably interesting to hear someone's perspective who, did, who does. I was almost said did. I do. <laughs> um, thanks so much. I will definitely get back into the regular covering the news you know, stuff of the podcast later on. Um, and uh, thanks, everyone, and I will see you again soon. Bye.